Last week, we spoke about new creation conflict resolution. Today, we're going to talk about the truth of the gospel. Well, let's just recap the definition of gospel. Gospel is the good news, um, the royal proclamation of a real-time event, the event being that of Jesus' death and resurrection, because of which everything is different. And Jesus is the enthroned king. He has defeated his enemies, the present evil age, and he has launched new creation where his people are free and have peace and uh, live out the future reality when uh, Jesus returns and um, the new creation will be fully here. But today we live it out as though it is here in the midst of old creation. But with that background, let's turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in in response to Revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what's going on here? You know, it's interesting that when we read the New Testament, it's often like listening into a one-sided conversation. Have you ever um, been around your friends and, you know, someone calls your friend, they answer the phone and you hear your friend speaking, but you cannot hear the other side of the conversation. So you have to kind of piece together what might be said, which makes your friend respond the way uh, that they do. And it's kind of similar with the New Testament letters as well. We have to piece together the entire conversation or as best as we can to really understand what is actually being being said. Well, what's going on? Why are, why are these false believers coming in and what's the deal with um, having people being circumcised? Well, we have to understand this word within a larger narrative framework. So with the movie Lord of the Rings, for example, uh, the, the ring fits within a larger narrative, right? And it's the same with the word circumcision fits within a larger narrative. And so what is this larger narrative? And so let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we see the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. In other words, because of human sin and rebellion, humanity is in exile. And so then the question then becomes, what will God do? How will he bring us back from exile? Or would he even do that? And so the answer, short answer is, yes, he will. And, and we see this unfold, this narrative unfold. And if you go to Genesis chapter 17, and we pick up the reading in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now keep that in mind, that father of many nations. 
in verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Verse 8, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh, flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that's the backstory of Genesis 3 and the question of how will God rescue and um, bring his people back who have gone into exile because of sin and disobedience. And so you can even read Genesis 12 verses 1, 2 and 3, which is actually expanded more in Genesis 17, which we just read. And we see that circumcision is a sign of covenant and in, a, in effect designating who the people of God will be. The very people through whom God will then rescue rest of humanity. So we shouldn't lose sight of that grand narrative. It's not just for the people, it's through the people of God. Now there's more to it as well. It's not just a physical act of circumcision. It's also a heart condition, a heart circumcision. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 and the Bible reads, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, all your soul, and live. In other words, again, circumcision is not just some ritualistic thing or a religious thing as we think of religion, but it's it's about the heart. It's about, and again, for the from the biblical perspective, the heart is not an organ um, as much as it's the seat of a person's will. And it's the biblical or the Hebrew word lev. And it sort of resides in your gut. And it's it's the control tower of a human being. It's it's encompassing all your emotion, intellect, desire. Um, it's really sort of the seat of your will. Right? And so that's the heart that God wants his people to have. The very heart he wanted humanity to have. But humanity re rebelled. And he gathers a group of people from within humanity itself and says, okay, you're the instru instruments through whom the rest of humanity will be rescued. Now, the group through whom God was going to bring back rest of humanity, they too 
follow the same pattern of humanity. They too rebel. And at various points in the history of biblical Israel, prophets would come and warn them, challenge them, encourage them, uh, and, and, and call them back to the circumcision of the heart, to um, obedience to God. But each step, they often would follow the patterns of the world and reject obedience and instead follow disobedience. And so one of those prophets being Jeremiah will pick up the reading in Jeremiah 31. So Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they all will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So another prophet Isaiah, this is what God says through this prophet Isaiah in chapter 42 verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Again, the light to the Gentiles, meaning the gathering of the nations, that through you, all people will be rescued, will be blessed, that there would be opportunity to return from exile for all nations. Going back to Jeremiah 31, the need for a new covenant was there because the people of God were following the pattern of rest of humanity and violating the covenant that God had made with them. So let's turn to Matthew 26 verse 27. This is what Jesus is saying. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Again, Jesus is saying that he is now the bearer of the new covenant. But there's something else at play too, an imagery that Jesus is invoking, and that is of a new Exodus. That is of Passover. We go back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. God's people had to be rescued with a mighty hand when they were enslaved by Egypt. And Passover is that monumental, momentous moment when God's people um, were launched from slavery to freedom. And Jesus is deliberately echoing this event. Why? Because Jesus is saying in and through his death and resurrection, he's launching new creation. He's launching a new exodus from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. He is doing what God promised Abraham to do, that in order to reverse the curse, in order to open up the access for all nations to return from exile, God made a promise to Abraham that through his people, this would happen. But the people through whom this was to happen, they themselves needed rescuing. They themselves ended up in exile, following the same pattern as the rest of humanity. And Jesus is saying, through him, return from exile. The new exodus is taking shape now. 
And that's the grand narrative. And it's amazing narrative. And so with that picture in mind, let's go back to Galatians 2 verse 4. This matter arose, what matter? The matter to be circumcised. It arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. Again, sometimes we can read this verse without the grand narrative, the backstory, the narrative framework, and think of it as a religious thing. You know, like, oh, these people are trying to make us, get them to be religious and follow rules. Uh, and, and instead, Jesus is advocating freedom, meaning no, not following rules. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we don't follow rules. Uh, and then, in effect, practically, sometimes we end up uh, thinking that we have freedom from Jesus. We can do whatever we want. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that there is now, because of what Jesus has done on the, death, on, on the cross and his resurrection, a new point in the narrative framework. There's an analogy I can think of. Uh, imagine um, pick, a sports, uh, pick a sport and a sport team and um, your favorite team. Uh, mine's the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and actually, we just had a, a game not too long ago, a few weeks back against the Atlanta Falcons, where we were losing badly. And we didn't think we would win. In fact, it was horrible. Uh, and so imagine a scenario where your team is just down in the dumps and it is just it is just being it's horrible. It's uh, it's terrible. They, they're losing. But the very the same players on the team, not only are they losing, but they're scoring their own goal or they're just making tons of mistakes. They're sabotaging uh, the game itself. And so they have no chance of winning. And you can imagine just sitting there. I mean, I know, I, I don't have to imagine. Like I said, this happened a few weeks back and it was really painful to watch. It was just horrible. But then all of a sudden a player emerges who just sort of turns the tide and ends up winning the game. And then there's the celebration um, in the locker room afterwards. Everybody's fired up, excited. Just, it's just unbelievable. This is literally like no one expected this to happen and it has happened. Can you imagine the euphoria and the joy and, and the excitement of the winning team? And, and as people are celebrating, imagine a group of people barge into the locker room, grab people, grab the players, and they take them back outside. And, and people are like, what's going on? And they're like, no, you got to play the game and start when we were down by whatever points. And so people are like, wait, what do you mean we got to go back and play? Because the game's done. We won. Uh, we have this like miraculous comeback. And But they're like, no, we need to go back to the point when we were still down. And act as though, live as though, that's where we need to reside. That's where we need to dwell. And that's exactly what was happening in Galatians. A group of people had come in and said, hey, we need to go back to the narrative where God made the covenant with Abraham. Circumcision was the sign that you are a people of God. And they had forgotten somehow or misplaced or ignored, what have you, that that covenant was there and circumcision was there as part of a grand narrative to bring people back from exile. All nations back from exile and that actually ended up happening in and through Jesus Christ and so when we think about the truth of the gospel Galatians 2 verse 5 
we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So what is the truth of the gospel? That King Jesus has launched new family of all nations that is inclusive of gender, ethnicity, what have you. Whatever divides in all creation is brought together because of Jesus's death and resurrection and he's calling all nations to come live under his kingship in subjection and obedience to him. That's the truth of the gospel. It's not a religion, but relationship. Not a set of rules, but relationship. It's not division, but unity. And that is the truth of the gospel. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. The Bible reads, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, too often we can reduce the truth of the gospel to a set of teachings or rules or instructions. And there is a place for it. And as we saw in the scripture, doctrine matters. But so does the life. The truth of the gospel is that because of what King Jesus has done, the decisive victory he has won, that we can now be one family of all nations and that we are living it out in practice. Our connection with God should re result in connection with God's family of all nations and God's mission to all nations. That is the truth of the gospel. Now, as we close out here, we live in an increasingly polarized world. And um, honestly, when I go on Facebook and I see a lot of the posts by uh, Christians, it actually kind of sobers me. I, and people that I know even, and I would not imagine them to write the stuff they write. And I'm like, wow, what is going on? And in this environment, we cannot reduce Christianity just to a set of teachings in a private sort of space. Uh, although doctrine matters, like I said, and as this scripture says, more importantly than what I say, watch your life and doctrine. So we do need to be mindful and, and act on this teaching and the teaching, the truth of the gospel is our connection with God should result in connection with God's family of all nations and God's mission to all nations that includes how we treat people who think differently than us who look differently than us who see the world quite differently than us how do we who have polit different political affiliations or whatever other affiliations you have you can think of how do we treat in reality in real time that is the truth of the gospel and how do we preserve this truth of the gospel because the truth is we're going to have different people like we see in Galatians come in and basically not live according to the truth of the gospel. If you're watching this video and you're wondering, man, I want to know more about the truth of the gospel. I'll be happy to connect with you, um, study the Bible or connect you with someone who could study the Bible with you. Uh, but again, I really hope and pray that because of what King Jesus has done, we can pray and and think about, reflect, and go back to these scriptures, go back to the grand narrative, and plug ourselves within the right narrative 
framework that then shapes our identity both individually and collectively so we can um, guided by the holy spirit live out the truth of the gospel in how we treat uh, one another all for the glory of god thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to present this um, look forward to seeing you next time god bless you